Hello, this is Miss Mary here. Welcome everybody to the third season of My Story, His Story, Our Journey. I am so blessed and excited that you all have faithfully followed me. And now we are starting our third year in this podcast. Please remember to always share with your family and friends. Notify them that to hit the follow button that they will always know when another episode appears. And like I said, we're so excited to uh, get into this first journey of 2023. And I hope so far that you had a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. I missed you while I was away, but we are back and ready to continue in the book of Galatians. So I will see you over in my part of the story. Hello, and thanks for joining me in my part of the story. Well, guys, my part of the story is the same as it was when we did the introduction to Galatians and chapter one of Galatians. The Lord has really laid it on my heart to study this book and to walk through this uh, letter with you. And, uh, you know, in a way I thought, wow, if I could have just held off, it would have been a perfect start to season three. But, you know, when the Holy Spirit leads you to do something, we should all be obedient and following it right then and there. So it does seem a little odd that we're going to pick up in season three with chapter two of Galatians. But I'm so excited to get into it with you. And I really don't know what else to say for my part of the story because I've already explained that before in our introduction. And um, I just really feel led to uh, teach it, and I hope you're learning as much as you can from it. I pray that this letter will help you, give you some peace about salvation, and uh, hopefully it will help you not to sway to listen to false doctrine or false teaching about uh, losing your salvation after having it. Um, but we also want you to examine your heart to be sure that you really have been saved and that your life reflects that. So really, that's just my part of the story. It's short and sweet, but I will uh, see you over in his part of the story where we will continue into the book of Galatians in chapter two, and I'll see you there. Welcome to his part of the story. So here we are in the Word of God. I hope you have your Bibles with you, and I hope you can follow me through this particular chapter. It is so important to our salvation and our walk and our life with Jesus Christ. So we are here in Galatians chapter 2. We're continuing our journey into Galatia with the Galatians. And it starts out here and it says, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas. Now, if we remember from uh, the beginning of the introduction in chapter 1, who is I? I is Paul. Paul has heard about the confusion in Galatia, how the outsiders has come in and told the church that they have to be circumcised. Now, these are non-Jewish Christians. These are Greeks, Gentiles. These are not um, 
Jewish people, but they still believe if you're following Jesus Christ or they still believed in the Torah and you had to obey the law of the Torah. So they have put pressure on the church and caused undue uh, stress and aggravation in the church. So it says here, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of revelation and set before them. And in parentheses, it says, though privately before those who seemed influential. So, you know, Paul's taking it right to the source. He says he's taking it to those and meeting them privately before those who seem influential. So, you know, I I think that's a little jab there, you know, in the scriptures because, you know, Paul used to be very zealous for the Torah and for the law, which is why he was against the Christians in the beginning. And so he, he understands that with that accompaniment and those people, they're supposed to have influential or uh, have some kind of influence and power. But he says here, though privately before those who seemed influential. And then he says, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised through, though he was a Greek. So he's saying, like, right now Titus has traveled with him, he's been with him, and he has never in no way told Titus, you have to be circumcised to be a Christian. You have to follow the Torah or the law. So he makes a point here to say that Titus was with him and he was not forced to be circumcised. And then in verse four, it says, yet because of in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery. Now, this is very important when we see this. He is clearly saying to be bound by law and to be bound by all the do's and the don'ts of the Torah. He's saying that they might bring us into slavery. He's calling that a slavery, like being bound to a responsibility as if Jesus Christ had not already done everything for the salvation. And then verse 5, it says, To them we did not yield in submission, even for one moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Now think about that. Think about that in today's situation. You know, if there's somebody in the church that's telling you that you have to dress a certain way or look a certain way or act a certain way or be a certain way, you know, the Bible does tell women to be modest. And I think that it is important to be very modest as a lady. Um, It sets us apart from the world. And, you know, everything about us belongs to our mate or to our future mate. And so I think it's important to dress modest, but we're talking about whether you have long hair or short hair if you're a man. We're talking about if the women wear dresses clear to their ankles, uh, if they have no makeup on or have their hair up in a bun or have a head covering. You know, there's some people that no matter what, they'll always wear, a lady will wear a head covering in church. Well, if you don't wear the head covering every single day of, you know, wherever you go, then why do you just wear it in church? Because that was a tradition of the women in their time. But so he's saying here that we, we didn't submit not for one moment to those particular 
laws or uh, pressures from the Torah. And, and then it says in verse 6, And from those who seem to be influential, he says it again, but in parentheses it says, What they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. <laughs> uh, you just got to love Paul's... <laughs> You just got to love Paul's writing here, especially knowing that it's been given to him through the Holy Spirit. Paul literally says, you know, they seem to be influential, you know, but God shows no partiality. Now, some people take this, this particular context out of, out of, or this particular statement out of context. He's basically saying when it says God shows no partiality is, is that it does not matter if you're a Greek or you're a Jew. It doesn't matter if you think you're part of the hierarchy of Pharisees or the Sadducees or if you're just somebody from Galilee. He shows no partiality. God's way is God's way. And what God requires from man is what God requires from man. And it doesn't matter who on this earth can add to it or take away from it. You know, you always want to do what God tells you to do. And he's saying here, he says, that they don't, didn't make no difference to me. They may believe that they're influential. They may believe that they have a higher seat in the church because of the fact that they are uh, always doing whatever, you know, they want to do, but then they want to put the pressures on you for to do what they say to do. So, sorry about that. My kitty cat's acting up. But anyhow, so... This is the thing, is, is when, you, um, when you have somebody telling you that, you know, you have to be a certain way or dress a certain way or sit here in the church or sit there in the church or to be part of, you know, the service, a woman may, you know, ha- has to have a dress on. And I've said this before to you, and I want you to know that that has happened to me. Uh, I am a sign language translator. And I have been to a church before that when I showed up to translate for them upon their request for me to be there, they said, you have pants on. Well, I had all black on because it's required when you're translating to have a solid background to where they can see your hands carefully. And I was dressed very, very modestly as a woman. I had, it was like a pants suit actually. And I was told that after today, I could no longer serve unless I had a dress on. Which I found that very interesting. Like, it's okay to do it today. See, and that's where when you're, you're, you have these laws and these regulations that's made up by, by man, in my opinion, because you, you won't find scriptures to really support that. Um, especially in the New Testament and the New Covenant. But, uh, you know... It was like they were in a pickle, so today I can do it. But any other time, and you know, and I did ask lovingly, where do you find that? Are you talking about me being modest? I'm, I'm dressed very modest, you know. So if you hear me say that, then I use that one because that one was done against me at a time, and it was very heartbreaking. And I actually did not translate at that church anymore because I really did feel like... Um, they embarrassed me. They made me feel as if God would not use me unless I had a dress on. And that to me is ridiculous. And it kind of falls in here where it says what, you know, they might feel like they are 
influential, but when he goes back and says what they were makes no difference to me because God shows no partiality. And then it goes on and says, those I say whom seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just Peter had been entrusted to the gospel of the circumcised. So he he says it twice. It means nothing to me. He says, they seem influential, added nothing to me. And that's a powerful statement. You have to understand that, and you have to know this in your heart. Don't be lulled down by people. Um, because it can break you. you. You can almost maybe not even want to go to church because you feel like, I'm not good enough yet. I'm, you know, when you go into the house of God, it it's God's house. It's not people's house. It's God's house. And if you go into the house of God with pure love in your heart, wanting to grow and to learn and to fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ, don't let somebody run you out by their ignorance. They may seem influential into their own mind, but make sure you take Paul's words with you where you go. And maybe even lovingly educate that person. I mean, I have said things to people that kind of pushed a a law or a earthly requirement on me. And I've lovingly said, where do you find that in the Bible? Or does the scripture support what you're saying to me? Um, you know, sometimes they need to be taught too. Sometimes they may not realize honestly how ignorant they sound by putting undue stress and pressure on you. So he says here, you know, he was sent. He says, on the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, which that, you know, Paul, he was a Jew, but he was sent to the uncircumcised, which was the Gentiles. And he said, just Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised. So Peter was the one that was ministering the gospel to the Jewish people, where Paul was sent out to the non-Jewish. And then at verse 8, it says, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the the Gentiles. So he's reminding these so-called influential people that I was sent to the non-Jewish people. In other words, why are you putting pressure on the people I've already been, I've already entrusted the gospel. They understand the gospel. They know what the true gospel stands for and means. I have been with them and you're coming in and undoing what I had already set in play through the Holy Spirit of God. And then verse 9, it says, And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. So we got James and Cephas. Remember, that's Peter. Okay, so James, Peter, and John. He says, so seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me. So at this point, you know, remember Paul, Jesus Christ came to Paul individually. And uh, on the road to Damascus. And, you know, at the time he had, he's been with some 
of the uh, disciples, but not all, not all of them. And he says, they gave him the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, and we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing that I was eager to do. So, you know, you have one group going to the Gentiles and one group going to the actual uh, Jewish people. And verse 11, it says, But when Cephas, which is Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Now listen to this very carefully. If you don't catch much of anything else from this, know this in your heart. That way you can guard your heart if somebody tries to make you feel bad or make you feel like you are not worthy of the gospel or worthy of your salvation. He says that Peter, I opposed him. Now we're talking about an apostle. We're talking about apostle to apostle. He said, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Now, why? Let's let's read on and see why. Why did he stand condemned? For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. So, see, Peter was sitting with the Gentiles and eating. He did not have a problem with them not being circumcised. He did not have a problem with them not fulfilling the Torah. But when the circumcised Jews came around, he departed from them. He left the Gentiles. It says here he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party, the group. And it could have been the Pharisees even. 13, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. Notice what that word says, hypocritically. So that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Now, he's really trying to take this point home. And I know it sounds like I'm repeating myself, but this is how many times Paul is trying to get all of us to understand that is a hypocritical thing to do. To make yourself feel like a person cannot serve in the house of God unless they wear a dress. The question to that person is if that dress is so powerful and it makes you a godly woman, do you wear that dress everywhere you go? Everywhere, every day of your life. Not just to church. But where do you draw the line at what is supposed to be law and what is supposed to be grace? Like where 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 do you see yourself, you know, wearing a hat or wearing a dress if you're a female? Uh, or wearing, you know, I know people say wear your best and give God your best like a suit, but what if a man don't have a suit? What if he's just coming in from work? Do we not praise him that he, he went straight from work straight into the house of God? You know, where do we draw the line on ourselves when that happens to us? Do we always dress in a suit every day, all day long, because we should be giving our best to God if it's the clothes that is what gives our best to God? You have to think about it because it puts you in a hypocritical position. Verse 14, But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter, Before them all, if if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, 
How can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So basically, he told Peter to his face, you've, you've reaped the benefit of grace. You, it says, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew yourself, Peter. Everything that Jesus told us directly from the Lord, how he imputed into them and the times that they saw the Pharisees come up to Jesus and why do you eat with sinners? And he would say, who better to need a physician but the sick? They would question him about why he didn't wash his hands. So he's reminding Peter, (laughs) Peter, there's a time that you don't do these things because, you know, he's learned from the Lord that loving God with all your heart, all your soul and all your mind and loving others as you love yourself was the most important commandments. So he's reaped the benefits of this. But now he's saying, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? You're being a hypocrite. You're now trying to force these Gentiles like you're agreeing with the Jewish party that came in and is trying to impose these laws on them. So it is, there is a time where you can oppose it. There's a time where you can confront the truth about the gospel and about being free in Jesus. I mean, Paul did. And then it says here, Verse 15, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. Listen to that very carefully. I'm going to start over and I want you to listen. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. That is a pretty clear statement from probably the greatest apostles that ever lived that did the church plant, first church plantings and, you know, wrote probably at least 14 books of the New Testament with the power of the Holy Spirit. He said very clearly, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So you can do these things. You can do these things if you want. But what you can't do is impose it onto another person. One new, let me say, I guess, earthly example right now. I have been told by some friends that a particular pastor has said, you should not go into Applebee's or any other restaurant that has a bar in it. If you're a Christian, you should never be in one of those dwellings. That's a little crazy, in my opinion. Now, should you go and drink a strong drink until you're drunk and act a fool? No. But to go into Applebee's and sit in a seat and just order a steak dinner with a soda or tea or whatever, what does that have to do with the people over there? Well, I can tell you, in my opinion, one thing is is maybe they will actually see somebody bow their head and pray over their food, and it may be a testament to the power of Jesus Christ. Maybe somebody looking across the room that's broken sitting there drinking can see hope in somebody. Maybe it could be a physical reminder to them. But to tell a person they cannot go into a restaurant 
or they're a bad Christian, that is hypocritical. That is the same as what the Pharisees was doing when it comes to the circumcision. And then it says in verse 17, But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners. Is Christ then a servant of sin? He said, we're sinners too. We're, we're going to be, we're, we were found in sin. You know, if you're going to have to dot every I, cross every T, and, you know, obey everything for the Torah, he said, then we're sinners. So, where does that leave Christ? Christ, you know, he's saying, is, so is Christ then a servant of sin? Because he, remember, he served them. He served the, the disciples. He washed their feet. He ate with sinners. Hmm. That goes back to Applebee's. How did Jesus sit down and eat with the sinner and upset the Pharisees at that time? Hmm. He says, certainly not, with an explanation point. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live, I might live to God. And here is the very end of the book of Galatians. And I will share with you that one of the things that I had imposed upon people was his tattoos. And I remember thinking, you know, the Bible says, do not mark, mark your body, but I did not really understand Leviticus well enough at that time. And other people told me that, so I just believed it. And I even told my children, don't get tattoos, don't get tattoos, it's against the Bible, it's against the Word of God. But I can honestly tell you that the Lord worked on me about my hypocrisy and about putting undue pressure on a believer. And these two particular scriptures that I'm getting ready to read is tattooed on my wrist because it was a lesson to be learned. It says, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So see, there's a difference between being forced to do something or humiliated and believing that you are less of a Christian and less of a person because you have something or, you know, you dress a certain way, you look a certain way, you act, you know, a certain way. Like I I have to say, I have to guard myself. Like sometimes with baby Christians, they may act a certain way that I think is unbecoming of of a believer. But this is a teaching moment with love, by the way, to help them to help them and remind them through scriptures how to grow, not to humiliate and not to say, well, you can't be a Christian or you wouldn't act that way. I mean, that is not for us to determine. That is a personal relationship between them and God. And I learned a big lesson with that when it came to my children. And it says, but he's, he's reminding that through the Holy Spirit, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says here, it's, And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. So Jesus did it. Jesus did everything that we needed for that salvation. So now that his Holy Spirit is inside us, which he did that too, he helps guide us. He helps direct us. And it says, 
He who loved me and gave himself for me. See, we do this from love. What we want to do and want to serve and want to be is just look at Jesus and, and, and want to be like him. Whatever he looks like. And there was times that he sat with sinners and ate. So how could you say against it? I mean, are you higher than Jesus? Are you more powerful than Jesus that you can make a comment that somebody can't go into Applebee's and eat because there might be alcohol or sinners in there? Mm -mm -mm. Be careful what we say to young believers as they're learning. In verse 21, the very last verse of the book of, or the second chapter of Galatians says, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Wow. And I have that one on my arm too. A lot of people quote Galatians 2.20, but they forget to talk about 21 because he basically says, I do not nullify, which means cancel out. But I like the one that says, I do not frustrate. My, my King James Version says, I do not frustrate the grace of God because we can frustrate people. We can frustrate their life and their act and their growth. He says, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Mine says, uh, then Christ's death was in vain. I like that. Because if we could do it ourselves, if we could do all these do's and don'ts and all these laws, and if we could do that to get our way, to work our way into heaven, then why did Christ die? Christ died because he was the only substitution. He was the only pure one, innocent one, holy one. It was through his blood that we became righteous, not by the works in which we have done or will do. You can never work your way into heaven. I hope you understand that. If you understand anything from the book of Galatians, I pray that you understand you cannot do enough. You are in a lost, condemned state. And I've often said dead man walking, just a dead man walking. And the only way out of that is through the grace and mercy and love of God the Father that he uses his Holy Spirit and reveals unto you the truth of the gospel. And you can humble yourself under the truth of who Jesus Christ is and what he did for you and believe him and accept that precious gift. That is how you become saved is through his blood. God sees you through the blood of his son. He doesn't see your dress and your hair and your dirty jeans if you go into his house. He sees your heart and your soul. God loves you. He wants you to be back in fellowship with him. So this is where chapter two ends. And I hope you've gotten as much out of it as I had when I studied it the very first time. It will give you peace. It will free you. Let's not take advantage of grace. And we will go on into Galatians and see where that takes place too, where Paul warns them. You, you don't have a license to go and sin. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is, if people put undue pressure on you over little lawish things, be strong. And if you have the ability to confront them on it, 
then you you have the right to do that. Paul did it with Peter. Well, I'm going to leave you off here, and I will see you over for just a little bit more reading uh, in the front and the purpose of why this whole letter was written and uh, in our part of the journey, and I'll see you there. Okay, so here we are in our part of the journey. And instead of some commentary, I thought I would read some of the introduction page. Sometimes if you have a Bible, you'll have an introduction page, which will actually talk to you about who wrote the letter, why it was written, and um, some of its themes. And I tell people all the time that these pages are very important. I hope you have a Bible that has that, um, because it does give you some background Um, here where it comes under theme, it says Christ's death was brought in an age of a new covenant in which believers do not have to become Jews or follow the outward ceremonies of the Masonic law. Okay. So we see that there's a new covenant. Now the old Testament was the old covenant and they were required to bring sacrifice. The new Testament is a new covenant where Jesus Christ was the sacrifice And it says here they did not have to become Jews because, you know, they were trying to convince these Gentiles that, you know, if you're a new person based on this gospel, then you're going to have to become like a Jew. You have to be like us. If you're going to be one of God's, you have to be circumcised. You have to be like us. And so... It goes on to say that the outward ceremonies of the Masonic law, which that was part of it, to require these things is to deny the heart of the gospel, which is justification by faith alone, not by obedience to the law. Hear that again. Justification by faith alone, not by the law. Okay? And then it says, in this new age, Christians are to live in the guidance and power of the Spirit. See, that's that's so important because who gets the glory? Do you get the glory when you decide that I am I am the perfect picture of a Christian woman? I have long hair, up in a bun, no makeup, no jewelry, dressed to my knees, um, or dressed to my feet. Uh, you know, is that what makes you perfect? Is that what makes you sinless? Let me ask you this. Do you ever worry? Do you ever complain? Do you ever speak anything out of your mouth that doesn't edify the body or uplift the hearer? See, because right now you're realizing how important the blood of Jesus Christ is. And faith in him alone, not law, not do's and don'ts. But when it says we're to live by the Spirit, see, the Spirit does the convicting of these things. His Holy Spirit is inside of you. And if you never feel conviction for anything you do in this life, then you need to really reconsider whether you have been saved or not. You should feel his very presence in your being and he will convict you. And and then you're like, okay, I feel that I should not be doing this. Then you choose not to do it, whatever it is. 
And it could be different for me and it could be different for you. What God is working on with you is maybe completely different what he's working on me at that given moment. But he's trying to make us into his image. So we should always be changing. We should always be looking more godly. Yes, we should appear like Jesus Christ. But we are a work in progress. Not to be confronted by Judaizers or people that feel like they have it all under control. They've never missed a Sunday service. They're always there on a Wednesday. Um, You know, I could go on with a list of examples. And then it goes on down and it says purpose, occasion, and background. It says a crisis has hit the church of Galatia. The church came into being as a result of God's spirit at work in Paul's proclamation of the gospel. But within a short space in time since Paul left, the church has been visited or infiltrated by false teachers whom Paul calls those who trouble you in verse one, uh, chapter one, verse seven, or those who unsettle you, chapter five, verse 12. These teachers have convinced the Galatians of false gospel, which requires them to be circumcised. So in our day would require us to do something specific, look a certain way, act a certain way, um, come into the house dressed a certain way. That's examples of today. Paul sees that these pseudo-Christians merely want to win converts for their own prestige. They want to win approval from the Jewish authorities by showing how effective they are in converting Gentiles to a form of Judaism. So see, maybe it wasn't the Pharisees. Maybe this was just literally a religious group of Jewish followers. It could be your own brother and sister in Christ that is doing this to you that completely doesn't understand the difference between grace and law. So they was coming in and they was infiltrating them. And so to make them look good, I got this one to circumcise like us. I I converted this one. When it's not about them converting anybody, it's about Jesus Christ's Holy Spirit converting them. And uh, let me see where I was. Okay. And it says, since the Jewish establishment approves of the fact that they are making Gentiles Jewish, the false teachers have the best of both worlds. They have created a sect in which they are the leaders, and they also escape any Jewish persecution. One further effect of this on the Galatians appears to have been the division within their church. Presumably over these issues of circumcision and law, that the false teachers have raised. Now this has divided the church. They had those come in that believe a certain way or maybe have been planted in this one church forever and then the church divides because half of them understand that it's grace and the other half want to follow law. We have seen this happen again and again in the body of believers in churches today. It is so sad It is so sad. I know God's heart has to be broken over a group of people that act like Judaizers, that act like they have the market inside of the body 
inside of the house of God and they've got it all figured out and this is exactly how everything should be ran. And this is what you need to do. Right down to someone even making a comment that you might have to be rebaptized if you got baptized forward. As if the Bible says anything about being baptized a specific way. You have to be, if you're baptized, we believe in total immersion, like in the river when John the Baptist, he was totally immersing them in water. But nowhere in the scriptures does it say whether they were baptized forward or backward. Nor would it make a difference to our Holy Father. What makes a difference is is you understand that when you are buried with him in baptism and raised to walk in a newness of life, that you embrace that newness of life. That you understand you are reflecting what you've already done in your heart. You're showing those outwardly what you believe inwardly. You're now, like when Jesus Christ died and he was buried in the tomb, you go under the water. But when you were raised, it says raised to walk in the newness of life. Because now you have a new life and you have a spirit, a new spirit inside of you. Not a, you know... You will always have the carnal side that will fight with the spiritual side, but you are now a temple of the Holy Spirit. It says, although the Galatians appear to have come under the spell of these teachers and have become convinced of their teaching, Paul does not regard the situation as hopeless. Nevertheless, Paul is more critical of his audience here than in any other letter. And he chastises the Galatians for being foolish and provides numerous reasons why they should return to the truth. He says, you foolish people, you've allowed somebody to be with you, to trick you, to have this burden. Think about that when people try to approach you and try to convince you of all these specific do's and don'ts that you must do, you must be a member, you must wear a dress, you must not wear makeup. (laughs) I'm sorry, I just, I know I can go on and on, but when you feel that way, when you feel burdened, think about it. He says, your burden is heavy, my yoke is light. You know why it's light? Because it's all him. It's everything he done and nothing of what we do. And if we do anything good in this life, I promise you, it's through his Holy Spirit. Because the nature of each one of us is never to do good. We're very sinful, self-centered people. And if we are doing good, then we are obeying the Holy Spirit of God. Because he is good. And Jesus even said, who is good? None is good but one. Don't believe that you can actually be so good that you earn your way to heaven. Because you will never, never be in the presence of the Father unless you go by through Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you once again for a new season. We're now entering the third year, the third season of this podcast, and I pray you continue to bless it as you have already. Lord, help me be faithful 
uh, when things come up, Lord, I know Satan is always trying to block and to prevent your word from reaching those hearers out there. And uh, Lord, I do the best I can. And that I know you can see my heart. And Lord, just help me. Help me this year be very faithful and diligent to continue this podcast that these um, everyone that is listening could grow in your grace and your knowledge, Lord. And I pray that through this book of Galatians, they will find themselves with more peace, more rest, more lightness in their life with you, that they could totally understand that this is about you, through you, and all the glory goes to you. And that we would not allow people to burden down our walk and our life, Lord, but we would be honest with ourselves and make sure that we are living in the spirit. We are not, we aren't given a license to go sin and do whatever we want to do because we are supposed to reflect you. We're supposed to be a light and salt into this earth, giving it flavor and taste just like you did. Let us look to you and see who you are and let us beg your spirit inside of us to help make us and mold us into your image. You are so wonderful, so perfect. I know I could never be like you until I actually get to heaven. But Lord, you know my heart. You know that I want to live in a way that is honoring you in this life. I pray that's true for all of the listeners too. Lord, I pray for them. I pray for those out there that maybe have not accepted you as their personal Savior. I hope they see you through this podcast as a loving, gracious, merciful Lord. And that they would embrace you and ask you to come in their heart and save them. Those that are believers that's already following you, I pray that they gain strength from your word and that they would go out and take it into a lost and dying world. Thank you once again for seeing me through two seasons and now into the third. It all the glory and honor and praise goes to you for it. Thank you for hearing our prayer, Lord, for it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you once again for tuning in, and we will see you next time on My Story, His Story, Our Journey.